This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the post-draft mega mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined again by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. And of course, the Twitter legend himself, Paulie Brzez. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Gray2820 wants to know what our thoughts are on the Jets offensive line going into 2019. I think this is a unit that if they stay healthy, they have a chance to maybe be average as pass blockers and be slightly below average as run blockers. That's if they stay healthy and play to the maximum of their ability. I think the problem is, especially with Brandon Shell, he's shown that he really can't run block. Beecham's not much of a run blocker. Winters can run block here and there. Assemble is the guy that really would be the improvement as far as run blocking goes. And then with Harrison, we'll see. We haven't seen enough of him to really understand fully his strengths and weaknesses. As far as pass blocking, again, I think all of the guys on that line are at least okay when they're at their best at pass blocking. I think Beecham's a decent pass blocker. Shell can be a decent pass blocker. Winter's not as much. He's really more of a mauler, but you live with him. I think Assembly can be a good pass blocker when he's at his healthiest. And again, we don't really know what we're going to see out of Jonathan Harrison. So I think best case scenario is average pass blocking, below average run blocking, but there's going to be some injuries more than likely. We'll probably see a Doga in there at some point. We may even see Brent Quale in there. Oh, boy. And so if that happens, it'll go south. And also, it depends on what we see out of Jonathan Harrison. Because if he's better than we expect, then the line might play marginally better than we think. But if he's worse than we expect, then we could be seeing a lot of what we saw last year when Spencer Long was having problems. Yeah, the... The line's going to be, if assuming they stay healthy, the line's going to be a little bit better than last year. Just off the fact, I know people aren't thrilled with Harrison, but at least he can snap the ball. At least you don't <laughs> have to worry about that part of it. So he's an upgrade over Spencer Long. Osemele is an upgrade over James Carpenter. So that's two two wins right there. The rest of the line is the same. You got the chance to be able to have Adoga either at play inside, take winter spot at a guard, or to be that swing tackle, jumbo tackle, and all that. So, you know, we'll have to wait to see how he does, if he can uh, take over Quale on that spot. But having Quale as that uh, jumbo tackle and the first guy in to plug in case of injury isn't something that should be exciting anybody. So if Adoga can be that guy, then that will be an improvement there. But it's those improvements aren't enough for me to sit there and be like, okay, the job, this offensive line is complete now. It's going to be great now. They still have more work to do, but we talked about this. They had so many holes to fill that they couldn't do all of them. I would have tried to put more focus on upgrading the offensive line to protect Darnold, but it should be improved over last year for sure. So um, with offensive line, it always scares me because you never really know how they're going to you know, perform or gel until they're actually on the field, especially – if it's not a line that's carrying over from year to year. Uh, but one thing that does have me, you know, hopeful and positive is, is the new offensive line coach, Frank Pollock. Um, he, he's a very good coach. Uh, he's been in many spots. Um, so I think that I'll wait to, to hold judgment, obviously, to see until he works with this line and who he puts where and who ends up starting week one. Um, that's why I kind of have hope for Harrison as well, because of what Pollock has done with offensive lines. 
Um, so I, I think kind of like my wild card is, is Pollock getting this line ready to play and, and protect for Darnold. So, you know, with, with the concerns that we all have while they're there, um, you know, once they're out on the field, I think that's when we'll, you know, that's when we can start either yelling and screaming or, or be happy. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Talk a little offense. Now let's talk some defense because Jack McAnally wants to know, how good do you guys think the defense is going to be this year based on how the draft went and the offseason changes? Well, you added two premium pieces and a third guy that could be a premium piece. So you return the key players to the defense, especially if Morris Claiborne comes back. You could be looking at the same secondary. You had a major upgrade with the linebacking core because you brought in C.J. Mosley, who's probably one of the three best inside linebackers in the sport. And now you bring in Quinnen Williams on the interior line, and everybody knows what I think of Quinnen Williams and how special I think he could be. He could be a real difference maker up front. Not only in the running game, but also as far as getting to the quarterback. And I think that he will help free up Leonard Williams to do some things. On top of that now with Ja'Kai Polite coming in, if he can start to get going, then you've got another piece out there. And I think that all these upgrades in personnel are really going to help Jordan Jenkins a lot too because he got seven sacks last year and his pass rushing seemed to really improve. I think a lot of that has to do with the work that he did with Chuck Smith. And if you weren't around to watch Chuck Smith play for the Falcons, go watch some tapes because he's one of the better pass rushers from that era. I always enjoyed watching him and he's become one of the best pass rushing coaches out there. He worked with Jenkins before last season and Jenkins was noticeably better. So I think if you have Polite coming in from one side of the edge, you have Mosley in the middle and you have now Quinn and Williams up front helping Leonard Williams. That opens up a lot of opportunities for Jordan Jenkins. So overall, I think if Claiborne comes back, that'll help. And now you could be looking at a defense that if they're healthy, there's a very real possibility that they could be a top 10 defense. Yeah, the uh, the defense is definitely going to be, uh, at least on paper, it's improved. The addition of C.J. Mosley is definitely going to help solidify the inside of that offense. Quinton Williams, of course, we've raved about how good he, he is. And, you know, he's not going to be at 
right at the top of what he will eventually be right to start, but he's going to be good from the start. He's going to be disruptive from the start. He's going to help that line. He's going to help Leonard Williams. Like you said, that'll help Jordan Jenkins. It'll help Brandon Copeland, Frankie Louvu. It'll help all of them. And then the other thing to wonder about, obviously there's concerns in the secondary uh, besides Jamal, but Marcus May should be back and healthy, and if he can be healthy, stay healthy, and he can play it towards the level that he was playing in his rookie year, then that'll be a big help. So I do think that they're going to be improved, but they still have some holes there. They still need some linebackers that can cover. They still need uh, some upgrades in the corner, and if Marcus May does get hurt again or isn't that as good as he was in his rookie year, then they're going to they might have to scramble a little bit, have a little trouble at, at the other safety spots. So there's still some holes there. But overall, I think that the defense is definitely going to be improved. And like we talked about, if you can have Polite and Quinton Williams and then maybe get more out of Leonard Williams, you can create more of a pass rush. That's going to help the secondary too. It's going to help mask them. So if they fall out a little or if they just play at the same level they did last year, they should still be more productive and have better success because the pass rush will help them that much. Uh, another one that I'm just going to keep short and sweet because I agree with Chris completely. With health and bringing back Claiborne, I'm going to make this statement that this is a top five unit next year. Barring health and bringing back Claiborne, that I, I'm almost certain that this will be a top five unit. Now let's see if the offense can keep up with them. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Billy Oakley, who clearly reads JetsInsider.com because he says, Guys, does the second-round pick by the Packers make Corey Lindsay a target for the Jets? I think he might. I think he absolutely might. Chris, you talked about this on the podcast, and you've written about this. If they feel comfortable with their second-round pick at center, Corey Lindsay could become expendable, and that is a guy that the Jets could absolutely look into trading for. I wonder if perhaps the Packers have some sort of use for Darren Lee, and maybe you could use him and a 2020 draft pick to trade for Corey Lindsay, but certainly something worth monitoring. Yeah, I, as soon as those picks were made, you know, I looked at the, the centers, where they went, Obviously, Minnesota, their entire offensive line was disaster last year. Uh, New Orleans center retired, so that's obviously not an option. And then the Packers have Corey Lindsley, who you know PFF has as a top uh, six center, I think, in the league. The number uh, and that's that's much better right now. So if I if I'm McCagnan, I'm definitely monitoring monitoring that closely. I'm taking a close look. Uh, you know, maybe they'll just release them, and then you can be ready to pounce. Maybe you'd have to try to trade a late round pick. But if if the Packers are going to be like, no, nope, listen, we want to hold on to them, then maybe you try to entice them with a Darren Lee plus a fourth round pick or something next year. But that's something that I would a hundred percent be keeping my eye on because he's he's young and he's still a good player. 
please note that that PFF grade is very subjective, and just yeah. because they ranked him sixth, that could mean he's the 20th best center. But yeah. even if that's the case, it would still be an upgrade and worth looking into. Do you agree, Paulie? Oh, absolutely. It would definitely be an upgrade. He's only 27 years old, which, which kind of goes with the, the youth movement of the type of players that they're trying to sign. Uh, it's a position of need, and, and it would be an upgrade for the Jets. And, and also, in all seriousness, I mean, they're getting a player – of Darren Lee out of the locker room. Now, I'm not saying he's a locker room issue, but it, they're not picking up his fifth-year option. He's not going to be resigned here. Um, he, they were unable to trade him, at least to this point. Um, and, and it just seems like, you know, the writing's on the wall. So I don't know if, if with everything going on, I kind of want him to, like, you know, just fester around the rest of the season. So if, 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 if you can make something like that happen... Uh, it's definitely something they should monitor whether he's released or not, or definitely try to to pursue via trade and seeing if maybe they can, you know, like you said, give Lee in a pick or something to make that happen because it would definitely be an upgrade, especially over Harrison. The interesting thing about Lindsay is that if he were being drafted this year, McCagnan probably would have picked him in the fourth or fifth round because he's right around the age that Mike McCagnan <laughs> likes to pick guys in the middle to late rounds. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Michael, gasted, confused, one of my absolute favorites. He says, with the crew that is reminiscent of the Palpatine's rise to power by taking over the Senate in the Jets' front office, who do you see coming out as the GM? Wait a minute. Was that Teddy Bridgewater's ominous laugh we heard at the end of the Star Wars trailer? I love it. I am all in on GM Teddy Bridgewater. I would like to see the Jets get him back so that they can trade him again for a third rounder. But even while he's playing for another team, he can run the front office because that's how amazing Teddy Bridgewater is. And quite frankly, I think if Teddy Bridgewater were here, he would have fixed the offensive line already. <laughs> I can get on board for a general manager, Teddy Bridgewater, for no other reason than that alone. He, he would be naked. <laughs> uh, his number one priority is fix the offensive line. So I could get on board for that. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and go through Canada's, uh, uh, it's still, like I said, I don't expect anything to happen anytime soon. So it would be, uh, at the end of the year, but it would also probably be if Gase won the power struggle, if that's how it plays out and Gase wins the power struggle and they bring in a new GM, then maybe Gase is going to have some say in who that new GM is. And I have no idea who he wants to be. Maybe he promotes Dow Loggins to general manager. Who knows? He he wants that guy following him around everywhere. So he would probably go with somebody you know that he has is comfortable with and has familiarity with. Now, now, guys, hear me out, and 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 don't say I'm crazy because I've had this discussion this weekend. So this is a wild. Weird scenario, but I could, I, I could I know see where you're it going already. Yep, Holy exactly. Sasha Banks cannot be the no. general manager. No, listen, this one is actually going to catch a lot of people off guard because how much I actually dislike this person. But just think about this for a second: Who made the phone call to Christopher Johnson in support of hiring Adam Gase? Peyton Manning. 
There you go. Now listen. Listen to me. With, with just hear me out. I know. I'm already no, with you. I I, I can no experience, it. but listen. You, you've got the Jets who are already have this turmoil before this season is even kicking off. How can you save face and make a hire after after firing a GM? Because number one, who are you getting to come in here if it's not a Gase guy or whatever? And he's going to inherit a coach that he didn't hire. Peyton Manning already supports Gase. Gase loves Peyton Manning. The media would love the Jets making this kind of move and save face and kind of ignore the drama of what was ever Gase and McCagnan for a full year. So it's an outside-of-the-box thinking, but I don't think it's that crazy. Let me jump in real quick here. I I could see it happening. Now, I, I don't think it's something they should do. Uh, you know, we just. Oh, I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah, we just saw this with Magic Johnson. I say this all the time. Like, I don't think Peyton Manning. Uh, he is obsessive about this, so maybe he would. Maybe he would really go head first into it and really take on the competitiveness and the challenge of it all. Maybe he would. I wouldn't rule it out. But when you're that successful in your life, you have that much money in your life, you've retired uh, from one thing already. To think that you're just going to be willing to put in all that work is a bit much, but we can't put it past the brothers Johnson to pass up on Peyton Manning. The Gates connections there, and there's the rumors forever. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. I'm not going to say that Peyton Manning couldn't do a good job because I think there's a possibility he could because, as you said, Chris, he's obsessive and competitive, and he also knows football in a way that very few yeah. people that have ever exactly. lived know football. Yeah. However. I absolutely cannot imagine him wanting to take this job because, A, if he really wants a GM job, he could probably get one just about anywhere, especially in Indianapolis. Even if it's not as a general manager, I'm sure that he could probably get paid a huge sum of money to do a fraction of the work as a consultant. So I don't see him wanting to take on all the responsibilities of being a general manager I could totally see Gase wanting to do it because, again, he could probably feel like he could control Peyton Manning in a way that there's no way he'd be able to control a season front office guy. But I don't see him wanting to take this job. And if he wanted a general manager job, I'm sure that there is a job that he could get that's closer to home and more to his liking. But, hey, listen, crazier things have happened. You never know. And I joke about this now, and Paulie will end up being right in 12 months. So we'll see. <laughs> This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Shane Corbett. He says, can you explain why Mac continues to ignore center? Have you seen the depth chart on a few of these sites? It's scary. We kind of answered this before. I'll only say this. I do think that you're right, Shane, in the sense that he should do something at center to add competition and depth because I do think that Harrison is going to end up as a starting center. But if they could add somebody like Wisniewski, at least as depth and somebody for Harrison to battle in training camp, it wouldn't be a bad move. But we talked about why they didn't upgrade at center, and it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I'll point this out. I, I meant to mention it before. You know, I don't think they're ignoring center. And I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Dennis Wozniak who, who said this on Twitter that, you know, the Jets like Harrison more than everybody thinks they do. They think he's a good fit for Frank Pollock's uh, offensive line system, what he likes to run. They like more athletic centers who can get out more. So they like Harrison more than, than we all expect them to, or, that they think they should. So again, I don't think that you can really say they're ignoring it. If you want to, uh, 
your problem, you want to have a beef with the fact that they believe in Harrison so much, that's fair. But I don't think you can sit here and say they're ignoring it. Again, they they signed him to that contract with knowing that there's a good chance that he would end up being the starter. Yeah, I don't think they're ignoring it either. It's just I don't think that they 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 could have capitalized on it any anyways. Like we talked, they they didn't have a second round pick. If they were going to trade up, they probably were going to target the centers. But like I said, you know they brought Harrison back. They were in the center market, but you know like they over the Bills paid a lot for Morris, a guy coming off concussion. Paradis, it didn't seem like they were really that interested in. So I don't think they ignored it as much as they didn't have an opportunity to capitalize. Next question comes in from Bart Coolbeans. He says, there were two edge rushers on the board in the third round that were fairly highly regarded, one from Florida, one from Michigan. One of them has attitude issues and ran a 4.84 and refused the three cone. The other is highly motivated and ran a 4.59 and a 6.94 three cone. Which guy's a jet today and which one is in New England? Who would you have drafted? So... Let's start with the who I would have drafted. The answer is I would have drafted Ja'Kai Polite over Chase Winovich 100 out of 100 times because what you're leaving out of this equation is upside, which Ja'Kai Polite has much more of. You're also leaving out the tape. Ja'Kai Polite's tape is much better. You're leaving out age. He's 21, whereas Winovich is 24. I don't really get all that swept up in these workouts. I go by what I see on film. Yeah, the numbers weren't good, but we know that he had a pulled hamstring. We also know that he came in a little overweight, so that'll be on the coaches to motivate him. But I'm not going to hold one bad workout against him to the point where I would pick somebody that I think is an inferior prospect over him. I'm also not going to worry about these so-called attitude issues that are based on bad interviews. Again, I think that the process probably just overwhelmed him and he got some bad advice and he's 21 years old and that happens to me Ja'Kai Polite is a much better player with the much higher ceiling I'm not saying Winovich is bad but I just don't see him as having the potential to be a perennial 10 to 12 sack guy I see that with Polite as long as he keeps his head on straight so the answer is I would have drafted Polite and I think he's a better player Chris I don't know if you have the same answer. I definitely am curious to hear what Paulie says because he's a Michigan fan, so he's going to be very biased in Winovich's favor, I would imagine. But we'll get to Paulie in a second. Chris, first, tell me, am I crazy? Would you have taken Winovich over Polite? <laughs> the way that that tweet was framed, I know that the tweeter wants me to wants us to say, "Oh yeah, take Winovich." And I like Winovich. I I did like him as a possible target in the later rounds, but. Yeah, no, I'm going the complete opposite as that tweet is framed. This is a no-brainer. It's not even It's not even close. Go ahead, paste up some stats there. And I'm not a big stat guy, but go ahead and look at the sacks, the tackles for loss, the forced fumbles. Go ahead, pop on the tape with Ja'Kai Polite and Chase Winovich, and then see. tell me who you would take. Because if you watch the tape of two of them, then you're not asking those silly questions about attitude problems and giving me combine uh, stats and this and that. It's not going to happen. And I know that, uh, like Scott said, I know Paulie's a Michigan man, but I have no doubt that he's going to be a lot closer to us on this side because, again, you watch a guy polite and you can't sit there and be upset about him being picked in the third round. He's a first-round talent. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement. Now, what I will say is uh, if you if you turn on a Michigan film, that Chase Vinovich is going to stand out more and he made more plays and he was more effective. 
than the other Michigan defensive end that was taken in round one by the Packers. Yes. Um, he outplayed Gary consistently. Um, you know, I, I, I love Michigan. Uh, just Gary, for as the player that he came in, he just never hit hit what he was supposed to. I, I mean, I hope he does because I hope he has a good career. But Vinovich was the better player. He was the best player on Michigan's defense all season and even most of last year other than, you know, a couple other positions because we lost a bunch of players. But the ceiling for, for Polite is, is so much higher. Um, and, I, and he's a first-round talent that fell for, you know, the reasons we've discussed. Um, I think Vinovich landed in a good spot, a really solid spot for him where he's going to be a good player over a period of time. Uh, but but with them both on the board, Polite was 100% the, the correct pick. Um, I think, like I said, Vinovich is going to be a good player, but the Jets made the right decision here. Yeah, I think the fact that Winovich was better than Gary is more a product of the fact that Gary was insanely overhyped. And I think Winovich is good, but I just think with Polite, you're talking about a guy who is a top 15 talent. So for him to be there in the third round, he's a guy with double-digit sack potential, and I wouldn't have passed him up. I know that with all the stuff that you're laying out there, you're trying to make it sound like it's crazy that the Jets pick Polite, but I don't think it's crazy at all. And I guess Chris no. and Paulie agree with me, which is good. And if Paulie agrees on this and he's a Michigan homer, then you know it's legit. Next question comes in from Artie Marinoni. He says, are the Jets stupid or they just hate Sam for not trying to build around him with premium picks? The only one on the first two days that was on offense was a tackle, and it sounds like he's a project. Listen, the strength of this draft was on defense. That's just the way it worked out. And so they had to take the best players. You can't take offensive players when they're clearly inferior. What did you want them to do? Take DK Metcalf at number three or something like that? There was nothing they could do about that. The best players here, the guys that were going to make an impact, were defensive players. As far as the tackle on offense, I guess a little bit of a project, but obviously somebody that Sam Darnold is comfortable with because they played together at USC. So I'm fine with that one. Yes, I would have liked to have added more impact players on offense, and Hakeem Butler in the fourth round would have been nice, and you could make a case that they could have taken Hakeem Butler at the end of the third, but the strength of the draft was defense, the impact players were defense, and that's just the way it worked itself out. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Again, they, you know, if they were picking in the 15 range, you know, 16, that Garrett Bradbury range, then you would have seen them go there. If they had... These other wide receivers you saw, you know, if they had an early second-round pick, well, Devo Samuel went before they would have had that pick. But you could have seen a a guy like that. But they didn't – where they were picking, you know, the third round, you would think that first third-round pick, they would try to address offense. But when you have Ja'Kai Polite there, again, the top 15 talent, he's that good. All season long when I'm watching college football – it was Nick Bosa at edge, and it was Ja'Kai Polite that excited me more than Josh Allen, and that was before I really dug into the Josh Allen tape. The reason why you didn't hear us talking about Ja'Kai Polite as much was because we knew he was going to slip. We knew he was going to slip to at least the late second, if not the third, because of those combine interviews. So there was no need to sit here and talk about it because it's hard to really sit there and gauge and expect him to still be on board there. But they definitely could have... So they need to go with more offense. I said all offseason I wouldn't have been against going all offense. And if they could have traded down in that first round, absolutely. But they got stuck at three. Take Quinn and Williams. And again, with 
with I don't think it's anything against Sam Darnold for sure because McCagnan has kind of ignored the offensive line and the drafts for as long as he's been here. He's just Brandon Shell's the only starter he's drafted. So this seems to be a trend with him. Adoga was a higher pick than he's ever spent on the offensive line. So progress, I guess. Yeah, I mean I, I, I think I saw somewhere the the highest offensive lineman he took was like one twenty five or something before that. Um so he's he's he hasn't addressed it. It's not a Sam thing, but with the limited amount of picks that the Jets had going into the draft, you wanted them to try to, you know, hit home runs on as many picks as they could. Um, I believe they did with their first and their, and well, their first and their second pick, even though it was a third rounder. But again, not having that second round pick, you know, he mentioned in his tweet premium picks. Well, they only had one premium pick because first and second round are the premiums to me, and they only had one at three. And there was no offensive skill players or offensive linemen you were taking at three. So they took Quinton Williams, the best player in the draft. They took Ja'Kai Polite with their first third rounder. Um, you know, those are going to be key movements going forward. Um, you know, I think the offense is going to be addressed next year. Um, a name to watch is, is in the receivers. Um, you know, Jerry Judy, yes. uh, C.D. Lamb. Um, listen, and I, people people think I'm crazy, but I would – if the Jets are picking in the, the 15 to 20 range – I would Julio Jones it up for Jerry Judy, and I'm not. I'm with kidding. it. I'm, I'm with not it. kidding. This he's an elite level wide receiver. You, you, you go up and you get him because that could be the missing piece to your offense. Um, and then you know, then you worry about drafting whatever with what you have left. But that's a player you want to add. Paulie, I'm sorry, but every time you say Judy, all I can think of is New York's finest just got a whole lot finer. <laughs> I just, I, I love think Doug, Doug, I love Doug Judy so much. <laughs> I don't know if I would make the Julio Jones move for Jerry Judy, but I would 100% do it for Doug Judy. Well, yes. listen, you got to do it for both of them. There, I'm with you. I'm with you. Doug Judy is absolutely one of my all-time favorite recurring characters on any of the TV yes. shows I've watched. Craig Robinson has done such a great job with that character. It's outstanding. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's it you know what? It's it, it's such a great show. Um every time he shows up, it, it's wonderful. His one-liners are great. Uh the relationship he has with uh Peralta, it's just it's just money. You can't buy that kind of chemistry. It's one of those things where sometimes you just see it and you can immediately spot that there's something special there. And that's obviously why they keep bringing him back. For anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the character that Craig Robinson plays on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Doug Judy. He's kind of a criminal, but a friendly criminal. And he's sort of like a friendly adversary of Andy Samberg's character, Detective Jake Peralta. So if you don't watch the show, you should. It's a really funny show, but he's we one of... We can turn this into a Brooklyn Nine-Nine content. Oh, yeah. I totally <laughs> Please, don't even get me started. I could talk about Andre Brower for about two hours straight. Yes. As long as I can have a, an Andy Santiago uh, appreciation segment, we're good. I got to tell you with Andre Brower, he's still always going to be Detective Frank Pembleton from Homicide for me, but I never thought that there would be another character that he would do that would make me think of him in a different light. And he somehow pulled it off because he was the most serious straight laced cop on homicide but in kind of a different way where we're super intense in this comedic super detached role that he's doing i've never seen anybody do it like this and he's so great at it again for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about you really should go and watch brooklyn 99 because it's a really well-written show and it's really really funny is it a crime to steal bread to feed your family 
or to sell some weed so you can buy video games or to steal video games because you smoked all that weed you were supposed to sell? Yes, all of those are crimes. Damn, even the bread one? Especially the bread one. Mm. But since this yeah. is the only lead you have, go do something with it. Oh, we'll go do something with it. We'll go do something with the hell out of it. No, no, no. He's not a cop. He can't be wearing any of this. It's just a windbreaker. It's not like I gave him a badge and a gun. Oh, he has both of those things. It's not loaded. I just want a cock and to say a cool cop catchphrase. New York's finest just got a whole lot finer. Give me that. Uh, I'm putting myself on this case. Thank you, Doug Judy, and thank you for listening. This will wrap up part two of our post-draft mega mailbag. We'll be back with part three tomorrow. In the meantime, follow Paulie on Twitter at Paulie underscore B-R-U-Z. Follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly. Read JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.